This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Mark Livesey is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. All right, so I'm sitting here and I am talking to John Mulligan, or also known as Johnny Utah on the social. And uh, Johnny, I'm just going to kind of go ahead and ask you to introduce yourself a little bit, and we're going to get rolling in this thing. Awesome, man. Hey, thanks for having me, first off. Um, yeah, John Mulligan is uh, is the birth name. Uh, nickname I was given was Johnny Utah by uh, my former business partner, the, the late Todd Prignitz, um, whenever we co-owned Wicked together. I got that nickname and it and it stuck, but uh, man, I'm a, a bow hunting nut like a lot of people out there in the world, and been through a lot of different career moves, and finally found one that stuck that allowed me to, you know, pursue those passions full time in some way, shape, or form. So, um, I live in Iowa now with three kids and a wife and a couple of dogs, and that's about <laughs> it. Man. So, um. In your previous life, weren't you like law enforcement or bounty hunter or something at some point? <laughs> it felt like I was a bounty hunter. <laughs> yeah, uh, for almost 16 years, just shy of 16 years, um, I was a police officer and undercover narcotics agent in uh, the northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area. 
Okay, now thank you for your and service. I had, and I had a that. different name in that in in that career. I had a <laughs> totally different name as well. So, um, man, it's hard to keep track. <laughs> no, that's cool. So then uh, you went you went from that, and so currently you have. I mean, you say like a full time career, but it's like multiple things rolled into one. As far as I'm aware, I yeah. mean probably four or five different businesses and a couple side hustles and a whole bunch yeah. of other things um, just to kind of tie in your passion for hunting and every single one of them, it seems uh-huh. like, but um, can you kind of go into all of those for us a little bit? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I grew up, I didn't grow up hunting. Uh, my dad wasn't a hunter. And when I grew up in central Kentucky, truth be known that we didn't have whitetails. Like when I was a teenager, there wasn't any whitetails in, in central Kentucky, western Kentucky, northern Kentucky, you know, there was whitetails. Um, so we we fished. And, you know, for a lot of people, if you don't have like an immediate family member or a brother to get you into it, you know, how else are you going to get into it? Right. So uh, I didn't grow up hunting. It was after I moved away after college and I moved to northern Kentucky and I became a cop one of my cop buddies, you know, talked me into it and said, Hey, we ought to, we ought to do some deer hunting. And I said, I don't, I don't, you know, I hate to admit this, but I don't, I don't know anything about hunting deers, you know? And he (laughs) said, uh, he's like, dude, you're from Kentucky. Like, don't you guys just like kill stuff and eat it roadkill style, you know? (laughs) But I'm like, yeah, some parts, I guess, but, um, got into it fast forward a couple of years. I went to a trade show in Ohio, the Deer and Turkey Expo in Columbus, Ohio, that they have every year. And I came across Todd Prignitz, and he was peddling his White Knuckle Productions DVDs at the time. And we got to talking, and and he said, hey, man, he said, "Um, uh, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a police officer, and I also have a landscape company that I own. And he says, well, I got a saw that might work for your landscaping stuff. And he pulls out this wicked folding handsaw. And he said, I'm just getting ready to, you know, release these things. And um, so I checked it out and thought it was cool. So that was kind of the start that got everything going. Um, prior to that, <laughs> another little sidebar, prior to that, uh, I was designing a equipment for a big landscape equipment manufacturer, actually a little miniature bobcat, like a little miniature skid steer that you stand on and operate instead of you know, seated position style. And, uh, I grew up with farm technology, you know, farm equipment and through landscape equipment, grew up on tractors. I mean, dude, I was seven years old. My parents would be in Bahamas on vacation and they'd leave me behind to mow the farm, you know, (laughs) and I'm like seven. So, uh, I can't sit in the seat. I had to stand up so that way I could reach the pedals, you know, but, um, so I've always just kind of had a little, you know, a knack for like equipment and how stuff goes and how, how that kind of works out. But, um, I became a dealer for wicked tree gear and started selling saws. And within three months I was the number one sales outlet for wicked tree gear. And Todd, he, I remember he called me one day and he says, dude, I don't know what you're doing, but you've sold more hand saws than Cabela's. And that's when I knew that maybe we had something there. I was already starting to look at what I was going to do post police career. And I had never thought about filming my hunts. Cause when I went to go hunt, that's just what I went to go do. I went to get away from bad guys and I wanted to go sit in the tree and find my, find my peace, reconnect with the world, you know? And 
he said, why don't you take a camera into the woods and see if you can film yourself shooting, you know, shooting a buck. And, um, the very first kill I had with white knuckle was a, a 159 in Kentucky on the ground with my bow, um, early season, September. And, uh, I was hooked, man. Like I knew at that moment I wanted to share my hunts and I wanted to pursue hunting in some, some way, you know? So go through a few years. I'm the co-owner. I had ended up buying part of Wicked Tree Gear. I'm the co-owner of Wicked. I'm the vice president of White Knuckle Productions, and I'm in charge of the sponsor relations end of the show. And Todd and I ended up selling Wicked. And um, with that came the opportunity that I could move to Iowa and still do what I was doing and run the marketing and product design side of Wicked for the new parent company. At that time, I felt creatively it was time for me to make a change from white knuckle. I was getting way more into photography and like a short film kind of a style, you know what I mean? And I also was looking at the trends of the hunting industry and I felt like the video side was starting to get played out. I wish I would have forecasted the damn podcast craze because I would have been, <laughs> I'd be, it'd be John Rogan right now, you know what I mean? Johnny, Johnny Utah Rogan, but uh, I, I didn't see that one coming, but what I did see was photography was going to be content was going to be King, um, Instagram. Um, you had some Snapchat stuff that was starting to come out. Cause you know, Snapchat actually came out like five, six years ago. It just didn't catch on at all, you know, till right. the last couple of years. But I started seeing all these different media outlets and I started thinking, okay, you can't just post once a week. It's going to have to be once a day. And over different platforms and now you've got blogs and you've got ig stories and i'm like man photography is where it's at and i just dove into photography completely uh that was the same time that i got hooked up with sitka and became one of the ambassadors for sitka and that kind of just started spiraling things into it now i still have the desire for the product side i can't i can't get out of the business side like that's something that's just ingrained into my dna is the business side of the industry and i geek out over where things are going to go next um so i have arrow wild tv which is a video format on carbon tv and youtube hit that subscribe button uh, <laughs> It's, it's a decent show, man. I mean, Carbon <laughs> TV did give me the best in hunting show award this year. So that was kind of rad. I'm very, very fortunate and blessed to get that. Um, I I have Johnny Utah as an individual, and that's more of the um, my photography and kind of day-to-day life of what, you know, Johnny Utah page is the center of all of it. And then one, one cog off of that is the arrow wild video side of things. Another cog of that is the Johnny Utah creative, which is strictly freelance photography and product design and marketing consulting for other companies in the industry. And then you have bourbon barrel calls, which is my own product, uh, turkey call goose call business that I started, um, right at a year ago. And then there is a new company that is just starting um, called Work More Hours, and which is me taking a motto that was given to me from my dad that I have based everything that I do in life all comes down to work more hours. I judge people on their work ethic. Um, I don't take no for an answer. 
there's no shortcuts. There's just work. If you do the work, either A, you're going to have the satisfaction that you earned it, or B, you're going to get your goal. Either way, you're working towards your goal and you're not focused on the goal. You know what I mean? You're focused on the process. So Work More Hours is a new brand that I'm launching and it's not going to be just strictly for hunting. It's going to be for the gym, for lifestyle, for for everything, you know, work, work is everything. And so um, that's just going to be a clothing line lifestyle brand that I'm working on right now. And, you know, I keep telling my wife, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to start this other business. And she's like, oh yeah, with all the free time in the world, that you have, <laughs> go right ahead. So, um, but yeah, I know so- that. <laughs> Yeah, Dude, yeah. I know that. My wife yeah. tells me, she's like, I don't know why you volunteer for things. I don't know why. You barely have time to do the things you want to do right. and and let alone all the family obligations. But uh, the fact that you even think you have time to take on other tasks or projects, and I do it. I mean, I, yep. it, the, the best thing I think is when, I, when I'm under the gun, I perform the best as far yes. as it, it just, that's what brings out my focus, I think. Yeah, 100%. I can, I can see that. Like, um, you know, because of being in a high stress job before, it's not that I really think that I perform better than other people under stress. I think that I just don't crack under stress. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So, um, right. and unfortunately the only way to achieve that status, to level up like that, <laughs> to get that extended play is you gotta be super stressed a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I but, get it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that's me in a nutshell, man. Like I said, I, you know, when I break down how I pay my bills, there's a portion of my bills that get paid for my photography. There's a portion of my bills that get paid for my marketing consulting. Um, there's a portion of my bills that get paid from bourbon barrel. There's a portion that gets paid from arrow wild TV and you know, whatever's left over at the end of the month. I mean, it goes back into hunting or more camera equipment, you know? Right. So but. let's, let's break some of that down a little bit and let's, let's kind of yeah. go into detail. So you got the bourbon barrel calls and like you said, it's, it's deer and just recently became, or just recently became deer calls. And before that it was Turkey still have yep. yet to order one, been wanting to do it, get the publicly challenged logo. We'll work yeah. on that. But yeah. in the meantime, um, let's kind of talk about that. How the heck did you come up with that? Or you, you want to do that? Or, I mean, was it like, Hey man, I know a guy that's got these barrels and, and yeah, yeah, you know what? I could probably do something with those. Where, where did that come from? I mean, yeah. So I was I was hunting in Kentucky. Uh, every year I go back to Kentucky. There's a, there's an uh, an older fella, as I call him. There's an older gentleman uh, that I always go hunt turkeys with back home. And I love I love this guy to death. And we were we were talking one night, and we were actually sipping a little bit of bourbon, and and um, we were talking about turkey calls and uh with the with the flavor the the aroma of bourbon on the mind um he said man i tell you he goes there's one one category that's completely saturated i'm like tell me about it there's like 80 different companies that are making turkey calls and that doesn't count all the hobbyists the guys that are turning lathe calls you know out of their garage making one or two a month or something and uh that conversation then went into talking and thinking with another buddy and he, I, we were talking about building brands and what it takes to build a brand. And I said, you have to have a backstory. There's gotta be an intimate connection to the brand. And if you have a good enough story, you don't have to have a million dollars in marketing to make something go. 
And he said, um, do you think that you could build a brand from scratch in a saturated market? And I said, I think I could. And he goes, what about turkey calls? I'm like, you <laughs> jerk. <laughs> you know, I'm like, man, I was just talking about this with a buddy of mine that being, you know, it's like that or trail cameras or tree stands. Like, I don't know how you can get more saturated, but I was like, you know what? I have an idea. So take bourbon barrels and turkeys roost in oak trees, bourbon barrels, legit bourbon. I'm kind of a bourbon snob. Right. So if it ain't 51% corn, it ain't bourbon. Um, so white oak is what is used to store bourbon. And I thought, man, there's, there's a little bit of like a nexus right there with the white oak. And we all know that bourbon comes from Kentucky. Um, so I thought I grew up chasing turkeys in Kentucky. If I can get the integrity of the wood, right, I can turn barrels, the lids, because they're thicker than the staves on the side. I can turn those into pots and make pot calls. Then, then the marketing side started to come in. I'm like, you know, the soundboard, if I use a crystal striking surface, the soundboard can be the charred wood. So it's like a shadow box. Like you're looking inside an empty barrel. Um, then I'm taking Oak strikers and I'm stamping the wax logo on the butt of the striker. And it looks like the maker's mark bottles and right. stuff like that. <laughs> uh, I'll put them in a wood box and I'll brand the logo on the, on the front of the box, the way a barrel head is stamped. Even the logo looks like the logo that would be on a barrel head. And, um, I was like, you know what, this is, this is going to work. So I partnered up with uh, NWTF and an organization called the white Oak initiative. And so five, uh, $5 from every call that I sell gets donated back to NWTF via the white Oak initiative with the deforestation that's going on with white Oaks and like furniture building and things like that. We're losing our white Oak trees. They're not replenishing. So to get a mature white Oak, it's not something you plant and you've got acorns next week, you know? So there's the organization out of Kentucky called the white Oak initiative. And they're basically, um, they're, they're doing a lot of partnerships in Kentucky. I shouldn't say they're out of Kentucky. Um, what they're doing is they're doing a lot of reforestation of white Oaks. So it's my way of having a company that gives back. It has roots to it. It has a backstory of taking reclaimed white oak trees. I'm not cutting down new trees to make this product. And it just kind of comes full circle and it ties back into my roots of Kentucky and bourbon. Um, we launched the company or I launched the company and in one year we sold about 650 calls, sell almost 700 calls and they're in the Shields sporting goods stores. That's pretty cool. I like Shields too. It's yeah. nice you know, customer or the actual employee owned business. It's a nice yeah. business model, everything about it. Yeah. It's a good store. Um, so that was just kind of all, all by coincidence. Then it wasn't like, Oh yeah, really. It was more like a challenge and you're like challenge accepted. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's make yeah. it happen. Yeah. That's pretty and cool. That's, <laughs> and I tell you, I do a lot of that in my life, whether it's by design or I just tell myself it's a challenge. And that's kind of how I get myself psyched up for it. You know, it's like if somebody says you can't do something, um, you know, if a buddy says, I don't think you can pull that off, but you might be able to. I'm like, no, 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 no. Tell me I can't do it. You know? <laughs> um, so, no, man, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. 
and to me, it also keeps me fresh. It keeps my finger on the pulse. And, and I use bourbon barrel calls as kind of a Petri dish. I will try different things marketing wise and see what clicks. If it clicks, then I can then take those techniques and then not, I don't want to say sell those to my marketing clients, but I, if I know it works on my stuff, then I know it'll work on their stuff. So when you um, say marketing clients, you mean like actual marketing business or is that part of like the photography is the marketing business? No. So Johnny Utah Creative is split between freelance photography and marketing consultation. So I have, I have marketing clients that I advise them on their marketing efforts, whether it be what they need to be posting or what partnerships they need to do or, hey, I think you should partner with this show and we're going to give this show X amount of dollars or whatever. So I kind of advise them not on their day-to-day marketing, but kind of like monthly. You I got you, I mean? like a longer we'll term scope. Yeah, 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 we'll have meetings or if they've got a new product they want to launch, then I'll help them with their photo shoots and kind of how to do their rollout so they get the most bang for their buck. You know, and I've always said a an idea is just an idea. And you could have the coolest product in the world, but it's useless and worthless if nobody buys it. That's so it's true. <laughs> yep. So it's just making sure that uh, the the message rings home. And, you know, in, in today's consumer is much more educated and a lot more people in the hunting space are more passion driven. Um, that's why you see brands like Sitka, for example, they don't sell you so much on the tech Every once in a while, you'll see some posts about the tech of their clothing, but it's more about what is the passion. They sell you on the passion um, of their product. <laughs> see, and a guy like you, it surprises me that you're not a four low kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> do you yep. know, are you familiar with it now? Because <laughs> do, you, yeah. do you know of it or? Yeah. So uh, no, high re- quality technical apparel made yep. right here, 100% in the United States. Yep. Um, a blue collar, you know, working guy worked his way up, built his own company and then said, Hey, you know, I'm using all these clothes. They're made in China. You're paying a premium for them. I think I could do it here using American ingenuity and build hunting clothes. I'm sure you probably have brand affiliations and whatnot with Sitka and obligations and whatnot, but I'm just saying, Johnny, yeah. Blue collar, hardworking American guy like yourself, not wearing yeah. American made clothes. Yeah. You might have to, uh... <laughs> no, I, I know. Um, and, and I'm, and it's funny because a lot of the brands that I work with, I do choose them on USA, um, you know, Kafaru and, uh, Grizzly coolers and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do choose a lot of things on, on the USA, you know, made. Um, I tell you, man, I just, I'm a self-proclaimed sissy when it comes to being cold in the winter and as soon as i switched over to sitka i'm like man i'm i'm actually warm you know yeah so. no they uh they, they've definitely got quite a few more skews but i will say talk to the owner andy i do know that they have over sixty four thousand or something skews in the works so i mean oh, that's nice. a, that's a lot of stuff plus you got to yeah, figure sure. he's got the chief product designer from qu that is now working for them. So, oh, very cool. I mean, there, there's a lot going on there. I think I'm I'm really excited to see. I think, depending on how the new administration and everybody handles China and different tariffs and things like that, it may drastically yeah. affect that company. Sure. But I think as of right now, with the current you know tax climate and everything, it's definitely 
starting to have its advantages to have production here in the United States for sure. Yeah. But, um, and so- it's so weird when you think <laughs> about hunting space, like how much it can be affected by foreign governments and tariffs and policies and, and that kind of stuff. It's, you know, cause when you think of a lot of times that's the argument of hunting, like I can just go outside in the woods, hunt some public land, like right on my soil. Um, yep. but it's, it's gotten big, you know, I mean, hunting has grown up and there's so, so many more companies involved. I mean, what is it like a 200 and something million dollar business or is it billion? I, I think it's million, I, right? Uh, it, no, it's gotta be more than that. So it's more like more than 250. Oh yeah. It's, it's big. Yeah. Maybe it's a $200 yeah. billion dollar industry a year. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's huge. huge. Yeah. It's, it's huge and, and small at the same time. Like, um, before I was working, you know, within the industry, I would always look at it and say, oh my gosh, you know, the hunting, hunting industry is so huge, man. And then now that like I'm in it, everybody knows everybody and it's actually <laughs> really small, you know? Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of funny and there's nowhere near as much money in it as what I thought there was. Like, you know, I guess, I mean, I was naive and I, I would look at guys like Lakoski and Waddell and stuff like that. I'm like, those guys are probably making like $10 million a year. No, but on top of that, man, <laughs> you got to sell your soul too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no well, offense to Lee and Tiffany hey, or any of those guys, but I mean, when, no, when you're, you're right. in your stand and, and you're not self-filming and you got a camera guy and you've got all these obligations and you got to get so many logo shots within a 10 minute frame or a 20 minute frame and all right. that other stuff. And, and the other thing I think is, is that the consumers see that and they get sick of it. They do. Just like even on social media, there becomes a point to where it's like, it becomes an advertisement tool to the, to the point to where everybody's doing everything and it's just advertising or they're giving free advertisement to people by hashtagging it and stuff. And, yeah. and I do believe that people catch on to that and, and it kind of turns them off at some point. And that's why for I think sure. like the hunting public did so well for quite some time, you know, because it was something new. It was an idea that, that was yep. definitely fresh. And that's what happens too. Like when I was a marketing director with Tecamani Holdings, I used to look at the Nielsen ratings every month and I would look at TV viewership of all the shows on all the networks. And this will probably upset a lot of TV show people <laughs> if they're listening and they're like, damn you, John, you every year you watched and every month you watch TV viewership drop and drop and drop. So let's just sake of easy numbers. Let's say I've got 10 million people that tuned into my show and they saw me wearing hypothetically, let's say I'm on television and they see me wearing a pair of crispy boots. Okay, 10 million eyeballs saw me wearing crispy. Well, fast forward a bunch of years and people are not watching television like they did before. And maybe only 500,000 people tuned in for that week's episode. Now, crispy's going, hey, dude, for me to get the same impact and the same results, I need you to splash my logo like eight or nine times throughout the episode there's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You watch television now and it's just like you're watching one infomercial, infomercial, up oh, deer walking across the field, infomercial, infomercial, deer get shot, infomercial, infomercial, <laughs> closure. And you're like, wow, that was cool. And because a show was not my sole source of income, I always tried to keep my show 
yes, we all got bills to pay and, you know, we all have affiliations and we gotta, we gotta make, you know, <laughs> make money. But <laughs> I've always tried to keep my show and myself as authentic as I possibly can. Like I have a no recreation policy when I'm filming. Um, if I didn't get it on film, we just didn't get it on film. Um, I also, this year, whitetail season, I self filmed all, but I think four days out of like 67 sits or whatever. So, um, now I do have camera guys on a lot of my hunts, but if I'm in a tree stand or in a blind, I'm like, eh, I can self film it. You know, I don't like it cause the footage is never as, it doesn't fit my cinematic <laughs> feel, but you know, it's cheaper. It's, it's authentic. Cheaper. <laughs> it's authentic though. Yeah, it is. And, um, so that's kind of been my thing. I mean, I, I always hate when somebody says, damn it, I'm humble or damn it, I'm authentic. Cause usually it means they're not. Um, but I really try to be as authentic as I possibly can. If I miss a deer, I'll tell everybody I missed a deer. If I wounded a deer, I, hell I wounded it, man. I suck. You know, <laughs> try again tomorrow. I hear you on it that happens. for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think that that's like the biggest thing. I think, uh, people, people end up seeing through, you know, uh, different shows or different, different, aspects of hunting and in the industry and, and who's doing what and, and all those things, eventually you catch on and you can tell who's real and who's not. Exactly. So yeah. let's talk now that we're talking about hunting and we're kind of yeah. on that. Let's talk about your hunts this year, man. You, you, what was it? Colorado or, or Idaho? You went, started out elk hunting, right? Or before that, I think it was even South Dakota, right? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I started out in Florida back in March and I shot an Osceola with my bow down in Florida and then I went to Texas and shot a Rio with my bow. Then I ended up in the Black Hills National Forest and I shot my Miriams with my bow. And then on my way back to Iowa, I was talking to a buddy on the phone and I said, man, I'm just going to crash on your couch. Like I'm done. I'm spent. I can't drive anymore. <laughs> so I crashed on his couch and he's like, you know, we can wake up in like three hours and we can go ahead and wrap up this single season grand slam right here in Iowa. I'm like, uh, okay, let's do it. You know? So woke up in the morning and I shot my, my, my Eastern with my bow that morning. So I, I pulled off uh, a single season archery grand slam this year. That was pretty awesome during COVID, you know, uh, the COVID slam. Um, then I ended up in uh, Montana antelope, uh, shot another archery antelope there. I love, I love Montana, man. I just, I love that state as a whole. Um, I then went to Kentucky and actually hunted with an outfitter in Kentucky. I do some photo work, uh, for this outfitter and they were like, well, hell, if you're going to be here doing photos, you might as well bring your bow and bring a camera guy and, you know, see if you can get on one of our whitetails. I hunted my ass off. I saw one deer. It was like 110 inches and I wasn't going to shoot it. <laughs> Um, so I had my first little bit of tag soup of the year, um, went to Idaho, hunted my ass off was, I'm, I'm a total greenhorn when it comes to elk hunting. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just running around, probably scared more elk than I should have. But finally on the last couple of days, I finally got into some elk and man, I came damn close. I got to like 15 yards on a big 300, 320 inch bull. And, um, he was in these, in the choke berries 
And I mean, I'm getting ready to troll and I'm looking for a hole and I'm, I'm like, come on, come on, come on. And I'm like, I got nothing. And, uh, I'm like, man, if I, if I release an arrow in this stuff, I'm going to have like 18 deflections for every 10 <laughs> feet, you know? Uh, so I decided not to even, you know, take a chance and pull trying to pull that off. So, but I learned a ton. I mean, I was, I was pissed at the moment, you know, at the time I was pretty beat. I was beating myself up because I just, I could visualize it. I, I saw the finish line. You know what I mean? I really felt like I was going to go out there and I was going to shoot an elk my first, first time out on an over the counter unit. Um, but so, I came up short. So were you, I mean, were you going solo or you, were you with buddies out there and that no. was your first time ever? Elk hunting yeah, then? yeah, I had, I had a camera guy who was also an experienced caller. Um, so I did have that going for me. I had somebody that had some elk experience. And so he was out there and he was able to kind of, you know, help out and advise me about some stuff. But, you know, for the most part, it's just covering miles and trying to get on them. You know, now in the, I think in the closure that's where I was very, very green. And that just takes time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whether you've got one at a hundred yards, or you got one at 60 yards. How are you going to close those, that final distance? And I knew I was running out of time and, um, maybe I could have let that bull bed up for the day and then maybe tried to play the wind a little better. You know, there's a lot of coulda, woulda, shoulda, that I've been thinking about nonstop since September. Um, but I got a little Rammy, you know, and we kind of pressed on a little bit. And unfortunately we pressed on so aggressive that we allowed ourselves to be in a shit spot <laughs> and where I didn't have a, I mean, I was 15 yards away and I had no shot, but if I would have waited, I could have either gone up and around the choke berries or below the choke berries. And then at least, I could have, if I would have had him at 40 yards, I would at least had a window to shoot in these, in these pines, but I just, I didn't have it. Like I said, I got, I kind of forced the issue a little bit and that's not having the proper patience. You know, that's you listen to a lot of elk podcasts and they say there's a go time and there's a wait time. Brian and Barney I, said it. I think he said it the best. He says, you're going to coyote them and you're going to be aggressive and be yep. aggressive and aggressive until it's time to not be aggressive and wait. Yep. And that's it. And he goes, that's yep. how you make the deal. But yep. yeah. And I just didn't know, you know what I mean? That's where I was very inexperienced. Um, but I, I took so much away from that hunt, um, that it, I feel like if somebody would have tried to teach me things before the hunt, it's kind of like if somebody tried to teach you the dictionary, but you hadn't learned the alphabet yet. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know the alphabet. So now I feel like I can read the dictionary. You know what I mean? Now oh, yeah. I feel like I can build on it. So now I've just, I've been listening to elk podcast and I've been texting, messaging Corey Jacobson and, uh, Donnie Drake and, you know, those guys. And, uh, I'm actually going to sit down and do the elk one oh one classes, you know? Um, and I know that there's valuable information that I'm going to pick up from that because Corey's the man, you know, when it comes to bulls. So dude, there's so many good guys and Corey and yep. all of them, man. And, and you can learn so much. I mean, that's like kind of you talking about the same thing. My first elk hunt, same scenario, you know, went and blind, didn't know it. I didn't even get on elk, but that was just because of my own stupid, you know, decisions along the way and not preparing myself. And, and then you just learn, you almost have to have that failure 
in order mm-hmm. to motivate yourself to teach yourself these other things. And so like yep. 2021, man, this is going to be my elk year. I got some plans. I probably won't draw the tags I want and it'll end uh-huh. up being over the counter, but I've got yeah. hopes for it. I've got hopes and I've Hell uh, yeah. spent two years learning and, yeah. and through this podcast, talking to guests and educating myself through online resources, I feel pretty confident. So uh-huh. that's awesome, man. Well, I, I came back from, from the elk hunt and, um, and then it was, it was time to get on, switch over to whitetails, you know, and started hunting Iowa whitetails. I had a buck picked out this year. That was my hitless buck, a buck. I, I called him Tyson and I was chasing him around and, and probably bumping him more than I should have. So I took a little break, went out to Kansas to go hunt out there with a buddy. And we had already had our date kind of set in stone when I was going to come out there. And I started looking at the forecast and we had a huge cold front come through the Midwest, you know, during that last week of October. And I'm like, oh, like if there's one thing I love better than the rut, it's a cold front at the end of October. <laughs> and uh, and we had like five days of it, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, the whole time I was in Kansas, I was like I was wanting to be back home. And then that's actually when I got the call from my mom that my dad was sick. And we had no idea. We just thought he had like a chest cold, take a Z pack and he was going to be fine. And he comes out of the doctor with stage four cancer. Yikes. And so my head wasn't in it anymore. You know what I mean? And I thought, man, I, I got to leave Kansas. I got to at least get back to Iowa. That puts me closer to Kentucky. If I need to make some emergency trips, my mom's like, just stay where you're at. We've got a lot of tests to do the next few days. So I'm hunting like crazy, hunting like crazy, hunting like crazy. I end up shooting my buck on the fifth and or on the fourth encounter, I shoot him at 37 yards and I'm thinking he's going to duck. I I know in my heart, he's going to duck. So I aim low and he doesn't duck (laughs) and he makes a full recovery shows back up on camera. Two weeks later, I have another encounter with him right before our bow season lets out, but he's at 89 yards. And I'm like, man, this deer is such a homebody. He's not going anywhere. I'll kill him late season. Just let him survive shotgun season. As long as nobody trespasses on my lease, I'm good. I leave to go on a photo shoot. I have some super fans that follow everything I post and they recognize terrain features, <laughs> and trees of my lease. Also knew I was in Oklahoma, went to my landowner. We're like, Hey, can we go shotgun drive that, that property? And he said, ah, oh, man, I lease it to somebody else. Yeah, but he's a bow hunter only, and he's in Oklahoma, so we won't be messing with any of his stuff. And the landowner's like, "Well, yeah, I guess it. I guess it'll be okay." They went out there with an army of dudes and flushed out the timber where I told them exactly where the buck was bedded. Uh, flushed him out. They shot him twenty something times and finally put him down. <laughs> so. That was like, that's the, I'm like, man, there's 2020 right there. You know, um, after that, I'm like, well, my season's over, you know, uh, I'm like, man, what a, what an exclamation point on 2020. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, these little punks just went onto my property and you know what I mean? Snookered their way in on my lease that I pay for and, and shot my buck. I thought well, this sucks. Then 2020 says, hold on, hold my beer. I got one more for you. My dad dies December 16th. 
And I'm like, wow, now that's the exclamation point on 2020 being a shit year. So we've got visitations and funerals and I'm back in Kentucky, back and forth, back and forth, helping my mom do stuff. And I get back to Iowa, we go through Christmas and I tell my wife, I'm like, I'm sorry. I know this probably isn't the most ideal time, but I, I just need to vanish for a few days. I went back to Kansas, shot a buck out there, came home, and that's how I ended 2020. So it um, it wasn't the most ideal year by any means, but if work more hours has legs, that was it. You know, you can be beat down physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, and I just, I kept trying to put myself, you know, put myself in a good position to capitalize, um, and kept chasing goals. I mean, there was a lot of times this year I'm like, I, I wanted to just empty the truck and I don't know, maybe have a career change or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cause I was ready to give up. There was a lot of times I was ready to give up, but, um, there were times this year that I made stupid decisions and then there were also times that there were things out of my control, but because there was so many of them, it just really started to take a toll on me, you know, and it, it made my mistakes seem so much more monumental, you know, and I, so I was really beating myself up. And then, of course, like I said, losing my father, who um, my dad is who shaped me who I am, you know. Um, he's the one that said to me, work more hours, you know, and that's a motto that I take from him. So, um, yeah, it was just a rough, it was a rough, rough year, man. But, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, there's, you always got, you always got a little, little fight left in you, you know what I mean? Heck yeah. So, and it makes you, it makes you realize that you still have some fight in you if you keep going. Yeah, for sure. I mean, thing is people are hoping 2021 is going to be better but i highly doubt <laughs> I know. not not to crap on your parade or anything but yeah. i mean dude 2021 everybody's telling that they just want it to bleed and die and it's over and everything else but 2021 i i don't foresee the future being any better in fact look forward to it being worse and knowing you're going to come out of it hopefully tougher that's about the only thing you can take from it for sure yeah and I just yep. want to say one more thing, Johnny. Yep. You freaking suck with the COVID <laughs> slam with the turkeys because I got robbed in oh, the no. stupid state of Illinois from my turkey tag. Oh, no. COVID land lockdown. So public ground, right? Publicly challenged, mostly hump public land with very, very yep. little private. And I drew a turkey tag that I've been wanting for a couple of years and never got to hunt it. Oh, Will I get to hunt geez. it next this year? No, I won't. Did I get a refund? Yes. Okay. Do I care about my $15? No. no right. I right. wanted to hunt that damn turkey. I did scouting. Cool. I found a couple awesome, awesome thunder chickens ready to go. They were puffing and, 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 you know, just spitting at me. And I called them in and did a little bit of scouting and everything. And I was like, dude, this is awesome. I'm going to kill these turkeys. And then it was like week, week before shut them down. I was so pissed. You have uh, no idea. So yeah. <laughs> just hearing you talk, oh, yeah, I went and I went back to Iowa and yeah. just rounded it out. That sucks, dude. <laughs> that sucks so well, bad. Cause, and, I mean, for me, like, I was going to go to Kentucky because I go to Kentucky <laughs> every year to chase Easterns with my buddy Johnny Parker. And they did a non-resident restriction. 
And then I was going to go to Nebraska to try to do the Rio yeah. Miriam thing. And then they shut down non-residents. Um, now, if you talk to the Turkey purist, they will say that there's no such thing as real Miriams and Rios in Nebraska. Yeah, we got to go hybrids. to Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So they're like, ah, it's all hybrids. And I'm like, well, it looks like a Miriam and it looks like a Rio. I'm like, are we doing DNA tests here or what? But so in a way with Nebraska not letting me in, I was kind of glad because then no one can say I shot a hybrid. You know what I right. mean? It, they were legitimate <laughs> Rios and, you know, Miriams. So um, and to have one of the birds be on public land, you know, something like the Black Hills National Forest, like that was pretty kick ass. Um, I hunt. I hunt some public. I definitely hunt more private now than I do public. Um, it used to be like 70, 30. Now it's probably 30, 70. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I like ma I like the land management aspect. My degree's in horticulture. So I love doing food plots. I love doing manipulation and timber stand improvements and things like that. And, and I kind of geek out over that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not saying that you can't pattern a buck and have multiple encounters with him over the years on public. It happens all the time. Um, those people are probably just way more skilled than I am. So, <laughs> uh, I just, I like, I like the private land aspect, but you know, moving to Iowa, being a non-native, I guess before I always looked at Iowa as one of those States where it was like Pleasantville, you know, <laughs> you, you, as soon as you move there, people bump into you and they go, Oh, sorry. How are you doing today, buddy? Oh, my lands. Good heavens. Uh, no, you're, you're a non-native, man. They don't like you here. <laughs> That's it's interesting. Not, it's not been good. And who likes the guy with tattoos, long hair, and former cop? Like, everybody hates me here. So, <laughs> And I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, exploit their whitetails, you know? So it's, it's been rough, man. I'll be honest. It's been really rough. It's hard to find ground. Um, if you do find ground, they don't stick to the agreements and they let everybody else go on it, even though you pay for it. That sucks. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, the, the message is, I guess I should have worked harder in life and been able to buy ground or something. So I'm maybe like, I'm a loser. Or so. you just, you just chase that public and figure it out. I haven't figured it out, but that's what I love about it. I don't know. It's different, man. Yeah. It's, it's we, different for sure. We've got huge tracks of public. We really do. Um, the first year I moved here, I picked up a lease that I didn't think that the lease was very good, but it gave me backdoor access to a big chunk of public that the only way anybody was going to get there was they're going to have to walk like two and a half miles. And, um, I'm like, man, a lot of people aren't willing to do that, you know, especially in Iowa when there's just so much private around and so many people have access to ag fields. So, like nobody's going to want to hunt deep timber. <laughs> uh, but it's funny uh, that we call that deep timber for a whitetail hunter you know what i mean like a I whitetail know, hunter yeah. but a, but a person out west is like two and a half miles that's nothing that's like i know right yeah, yeah. that's just you gotta go minimum of two and a half miles just to get away from half the people yeah you, know? yeah. you go two and a half miles just to get to the glassing knob right and then figure out where you want to drop in absolutely uh, yeah so it's uh no it is kind of funny um I don't know. I mean, I've got my eyes open right now for a couple of new leases and, um, 
our season lets out on the 10th. And once it lets out, then I'm going to get real aggressive and see if I can pick up a couple of new pieces. And, you know, and I mean, Real World Wildlife Products is a sponsor of the show. Um, Swisher Products, uh, you know, they make the rough cut mowers, pull behind mowers. You know, they're a sponsor of the show. I'm like, I'd say the state might frown upon if I'm out there cutting down stuff. And yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. and you know, grizzly box blinds. Like, I don't think, I don't think the DNR is going to let me throw up a big box blind in the middle of, you know, public. They could. So, I mean, technically, if they allow you to put a stand up, nothing says you can't put it up out there. You just got to figure a way to get it out there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, man. So that's kind of where I'm at is, yeah. you know, there's companies and brands that I work with and, and I, you know, I need some of that. Um, like I said, I just, I do enjoy the land management aspect. I love the challenge of public. And I love what kind of what public land represents that anybody can go out there. It's, it's right for the taking. If you're willing to put in the work and figure it out. And it usually is some of the hardest ground in the world to figure out. Um, and, and I do like that challenge of it as well. So I, I find I could, it interesting though. It's not so much even the animals. It's figuring out what the animals are doing in reaction to the people. It's uh -huh. and, and the crap you see, I mean, or you think you're going to be the only one out there. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's it's two hours after sunrise, and here comes some guy in blaze orange and a freaking bright white bow with pink arrows just walking past yeah. you, and you're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, man, <laughs> just... I tell you, when I, I had a spot that I found on our public, and it was dynamite. I mean, it, it kind of tucked in an inside corner of a of a private ag field. And I'm like, man, this is a money spot. This is money. I mean, I'm I'm a hundred yards into public, but the way this ridge follows is they're gonna funnel off of that ag field and they're coming right into bedding and they're gonna be in my lap. And it was it was dynamite. And then I checked my trail cameras and I got all these squirrel hunters and rabbit hunters walking around <laughs> with their twenty twos. And I'm like, balls, you know? It still I'm could like, be you good. Be me. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was like, man, but uh, no, I, you know, and in all honesty, I hear people complain about public land. Oh, I had a tree stand stolen or trail camera stolen. The only crap I've ever had stolen has been on private. So yeah, that sucks too. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So man, you want to tell everybody once again, before we go where they can find you, it's been great talking to you. And I just want everybody yeah. to be able to find you on all avenues and channels and and uh, your TV show and all that stuff, man. Yeah. So um, me directly, it's uh, johnny.utah.hunt on Instagram. And there's a Johnny Utah Hunt official on Facebook. Um, Arrowwild has uh, Arrowwild TV, Instagram, Facebook. And you can subscribe to YouTube or Carbon TV. And Bourbon Barrel Calls on Instagram and Facebook. Um, check out the website, bourbon barrel game calls.com. That's uh that's me in a nutshell. So did you use a bourbon barrel call on all your turkey hunts this year <laughs> for the COVID slam? I did actually. Um, I used that. I'm excited. Like 42 days, you know, chasing turkeys between driving and hunting. But, um, hold on one sec. <laughs> that was what I used to prototype new calls. So before the slate call was released, I used the slate on the Rio. I used the crystal on the Osceola. <coughs> Sorry. 
Um, I use the copper. Um, yeah, copper was Miriam's and then crystal on Eastern. So, um, did you, cause and you make like an etched aluminum one too, right? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. And that then, uh, one that I came out, that was kind of the last one that I released. And, um, my personal favorites are the aluminum striking surface and the crystal striking surface. So with the aluminum striking surface, uh, is that the only one that you can get etched with like your custom logo or design or name or whatever you want on it? Or how's that work? Are you still doing that? Yeah. Yeah. Still doing that. Um, on the custom engraved aluminum, that would be the soundboard that gets etched. So it's, it's a crystal striking surface over top of that sound. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cause I thought in your initial aluminum ones or something, it was, uh, like you had to scratch the surface and it, it took actually took the finish of the, whatever you had etched into it. Maybe I was oh. wrong and you're just scratching the surface of the crystal. Correct. And it's making it foggy to where you can't see the design. Correct. Correct. Yep. Okay. That yep. makes sense. All right, man, Johnny, yep. it's been great. Uh, great talking to you and glad to have you on and finally actually talk and uh, catch up. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for coming on and I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you could check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.